0: This sermon, The Stars, Babies, Jesus, and Me, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, June 18, 2023, at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. Fathers, fellow fathers, if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm eight specifically, and then stand with me and let's read it together. Our Lord, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingertips... The moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the Son of Man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with the glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Maybe seated, let's pray. Father, this is your word, cause it to take root in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you cause it to bear fruit according to the promise of God's holy word that it will not return void. Do this for our good, for the testimony of this church, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're visiting with us, we are in the fourth week of our summer series Sermons in the Psalms. And a little tidbit about the Psalms. The, the Hebrew name for Psalms is Tehillim, is Tehillim, and it simply means praises, to shout or to sing praises. And the Tehillim was very central in Israel's worship. It was central to both their private and their public worship. This is why some have called, and perhaps you have called the Psalms, you've heard the Psalms call this, the hymnal of the Old Testament. The hymnal of Israel. So as I, as I thought about that this week, I wondered, if someone was, if someone was to write a hymn, If someone was to write a hymn that captures Psalm 8, I think it would go like this. Oh, Lord my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. The power, your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I can scarce take it in that on the cross... My burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou thou art. And when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, What joy will fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim forever, my God, how great Thou art. That is Psalm 8 in a song. The God who stands high above all of this, the universe is the wonders of his being, he lives right here in your heart. The transcendent God revealed in in creation, mingled with the intimacy of his presence with his people that will be fully realized when his son returns. That that is the message this morning of Psalm 8. And however strong or weak your faith is today, whether you are searching for significance or you are on top of the world or perhaps life circumstances... Have you confused and even fearful? Or your courage is high. Psalm 8 sings a perspective-altering and life-transforming truth to your heart. And my prayer is that I will be able to get out of the way so that as the word is preached, by the time we are done here, we will leave with this song. The song of the great hymn writer, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. That's where we're going this morning. I pray that's where the Lord takes us. Now, I have taken Psalm 8 and broken it up into two parts. Two points for those of you taking notes. First, We are going to see the majesty of our Lord on full display. And then second, we will watch as David takes a surprising turn and draws our attention not only to the majesty of the Lord, but to the meaningfulness of you and I. That's where we're going this morning. So let's look at this first point, the majesty of the Lord. Notice we began with a great hymn of praise, but David begins with his own praises to the Lord. Notice how he starts this out in verse one, oh Lord, our Lord, and notice don't overlook going from "O Lord, the Lord to our Lord, everything that follows David wants us to know this is your God. Behold your God. Let me tell you about your God. This isn't just the Lord. This is our Lord. This is my Lord. This is your Lord. And he says about our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Now, I have no idea where David was when these thoughts entered his head. But as he surveys creation, perhaps gazing up at the star-filled sky, he mentions the stars and the moon, but not the sun. Let's not read too much in that. But perhaps he is on the rooftop at night, gazing at the stars. He has this moment where he recognizes... That God stands above it all. As majestic and glorious as creation is, all of it reflects His far greater majesty and glory. Its very existence is a praise, a continual praise to his glory. You're, you're familiar with Psalm 19, the first verse, I'm sure. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That is here in the opening words of Psalm 8. But then notice David takes us from the, grand, the grandeur of the universe to the smallest and most valuable or, or most vulnerable expressions of humanity. Notice what he says. He, he gives us this picture of God standing above it all. His glory is above the heavens, which, by the way, nothing then matches his glory. There is nothing above God. His glory is infinite glory unmatched by any of his creation that may seem and indeed is glorious. God stands above it all. But notice what he says in verse 2. He says, out of the mouth of babes and infants. So he takes us immediately with no explanation from the heights of creation to the mouths of babes and infants infants. He says, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Dependent on who you read, there's a debate, is this allegory? Martin Luther would say, yes, verse 2 is allegory. John Calvin would say, no, it's not. I fall on John Calvin's side. No, this is not allegory. For one reason, because in Matthew 21, Jesus actually cites this psalm when he's explaining to the Pharisees who are complaining about the children singing his praises in the temple. And he says, have you never read? And he cites out of the mouths of babes. And so this is not... allegorical for whether it's young believers or it's just believers like us who, who in the scheme of things fall far short of the wisdom, the infinite wisdom of God. But, but I think David has the little baby in mind and the wonder and glory just as part of his creation the wonder and glory that that reflects upon God. I actually thought about a baby's birth. I actually read, uh, it seems to be a Christian doctor who writes this about the process of giving birth. I know it's Father's Day. Father, we can rejoice. We never have to go through this. He says, how can you hear a baby's first cry? and not believe in the miracle God has produced. At nine months after conception, the baby's brain sends a hormone through the placenta into the mother's pituitary gland. And although it's a complicated chemical, its message is simple. I'm ready. It's time. And the baby's complex systems... It's so lungs, heart, gastrointestinal, nerves, brain. They are all ready to make it on their own. But the baby's skull is not yet fused so that it can... It, so, so the baby's skull is not yet fused so that it can... Uh, lost my place. So that it can fit through the birth canal. And as the process starts... The baby's adrenal glands add a shot of stress hormones to the baby so it can bear the stress of the delivery. The child will not breathe until it's cleared the birth canal. If it breathes too soon, it would suffocate. If it waited too long, it would suffer brain damage. And just before the mother and the child separate, the newborn gets a a last-minute blood transfusion through the placenta and the umbilical cord that the placenta has stored up till this very moment that, that has just exactly the right chemicals and nutrients for the baby to survive the first moments. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name question what do stars and babies have in common answer God's majesty and God's glory David has already told us in verse 1 the heaven proclaim God's glory the creation proclaims his Majesty, And now he says, and by the way, so does the baby's very first weak and helpless cry that comes from their mouth. That cry, that first cry is their first breath. Out of the mouth of babes, out of the mouth of babies and infants, comes a cry. A cry that that silences, notice the second half of verse 2, that silences even the strongest denials of God uttered by the most learned fools on the planet. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this verse. He says, In the sky the massive orbs rolling in their stupendous grandeur are witnesses of his power in great things, while here below the lisping utterances of babes are the manifestations of his strength in little ones. He says this, how often will children tell us of a God whom we have forgotten? <laughs> oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name." I, I don't know if you came here this morning I think we could probably to say, say that we all came here this morning something in our lives that is big. Perhaps bigger than your life itself, at least in your mind. And on this Father's Day, God has us in soulmate to present before us, whether you're a dad or not, the greatness and the bigness and the otherness and the transcendence that makes whatever you're going through, and I say this humbly and without diminishing in any way what you're going through, but small. Very, very small. Temporary. Under his sovereignty. Let that soak in this morning. Now, David here does something I believe is very unexpected. In verse 3, he, he shifts from the majesty of the Lord to the meaningfulness of man, in my words. He, he makes a shift. He goes from the heavens and the wondrous miracle of babies, but then he zeroes in on you and I. And he has some very powerful things to say about you and I. We are not meant to simply marvel at the Lord, we are meant to understand our place in his world, our place in his economy. And it is significant. So the meaningfulness of man is the second thing that we see here, and I just want to begin. I love what John Calvin says about this. He says, David expressly celebrates the special favor which God manifests toward mankind. For this, of all subjects which come under our contemplation, is the brightest mirror in which we can behold his glory, You want to behold the glory in the highest manner? Don't look at the mountains. Look in your mirror where you find one created in his image, where we will see you find one who is at the heart of his pleasures and affections. So let's look at this. Notice what David does. In verses 5 through 8, David actually takes us back to the opening pages of Genesis. I'm not going to read it right now. We'll get to it, back to it in a moment. But, but in essence, that language in verses 5 through 8 is familiar. Well, it's be, probably because you have, you're familiar with Genesis 1. Dave, David takes us back to the opening pages of Scripture, where we learn that as human beings, we are the apex of God's creation. The God who made everything has made man the crowning glory of it all. That, that is what he says in verse 5. He has crowned him with glory and honor. What does that mean? Well, it begins with the reality that God has made you in his image. He has given us dominion over and stewardship of his creation. We, not the trees, not the ozone, not the icebergs, ruffle a few feathers here, not even your dogs. We are his representatives on earth. We, as human beings, are eternal beings. We alone. Nothing in all of God's creation reflects his majesty as you do. I think this is why God's thoughts on... E- do you remember reading in Genesis? There's a cadence God creates, and he says, and it's good. Right? And he keeps doing that, but, but then he, he gets to man and he creates man, and, and not just speaking of man, but speaking of the entire creation. But I think the emphasis here is, is, is on man as the crowning glory of his creation. He says, it is what? Very good. Listen, at the risk of sounding like Mr. Rogers, you're special to God. It's true. David doesn't stop at the greatness and majesty of his Lord, he has some powerful things to say about himself. About man, very powerful things. And listen, just the world needs to hear this. The world needs to hear this. The lost neighbor or coworker or, or, or whoever it might be that you are reaching out to, that you are considering inviting to the bridge, they need to know this. As a human being, they matter to God. He created us to take pleasure in him, and he takes pleasure in us. Now, we know the story. We know that Romans 1 says that we exchanged his glory for our own, and nothing good can ever come out of that. That choice never works out. And so people... People you know, maybe even you or you. Choosing our own glory never works out. And so we turn to drugs and alcohol, to violence and self harm. We turn to sexual perversion and gender fantasies. Why? To numb. To numb. Listen, if that's you today, keep listening. Don't be offended. Keep listening. And pray that God today will mercifully grant you eyes of faith in him. Now, David paints a powerful picture of man here. But the biggest news in these verses, the biggest news here in, in this section of Psalm 8 is not our earthly dominion. It's that we have heavenly attention. The biggest news here is not that we are God's representatives on earth it is that he has set his affections on us the god that is busy with all of this is at the same time right here living and working in your heart if you are a christian notice what he says in verse 3 and 4 he says When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? This week, or or last, two weeks ago now already, Don and I went on a motorcycle ride, and there were, we were in northern Arizona. We had a great time with Tom and Lisa. By the way, they're naturals. They did a great job. But there were moments where we just pulled over, and the vistas... Were unbelievable. And I had personal moments where I just stood and looked out. I saw the winding road that we had just traveled on. I saw the sun glaring light. I saw the blue sky and the clouds as far as I could look. And I began to feel really small, really small. I think David knows that feeling as he looks up and marvels at the stars. The God who did all of this, look at verse 3 again. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingertips, the moon and the stars, which you have set into place, when I think about the God who did all this, he is mindful of me? What does he go on to say? He cares for me? The God who did all of this. Have you ever done any research of all of this? Of the heavens? Of the universe? You guys are probably familiar with the Hubble telescope. But since launching that in 1990, our understanding of the universe has exploded Thanks to Hubble Images, listen to some of these statistics that I read and did some cross-check work on this week. Today, it is widely accepted that there are approximately, this is everything that we may have missed, but there are approximately two trillion galaxies. Think about that. Ours is just one of them. On average, they say, each galaxy contains a hundred billion with a B stars. And I tried to do the math on my like, didn't work. <laughs> That's two billion trillion or two hundred sextillion stars in the universe. And for the record, I looked it up. That would be 23 zeros. (laughs) 23 zeros. In trying to put this in perspective, and he really didn't, (laughs) but I read an article and he said, think about it this way. Measure out all, all the water in all the oceans on the earth one cup at a time, count them, and the amount of stars in the universe would be 10 times that. Now, I don't even know how they come up with that. (laughs) That didn't really help me that much, except for just cause me to wonder and awe even more. Listen, David in verse 3 and 4 says, the work of setting all of those stars into place and sustaining them in place, you did that. And look what he says in verse 3, the work of your fingers. Get the imagery. he God's got, some, got some muscling stars into the universe. It's the work of his finger. <laughs> Translation, effortless, effortless, what a picture of God, and yet the transcendent God who creates and sets and sustains the universe, look what verse 4 says again, is with you, what is man that you are mindful of him, oh, not just that you are mindful of him, David says the son of man that you care." For him. David's language here is weighty, it's intentional. The idea of being mindful here is to be constantly aware, continually aware at all times, in every way. The Hebrew word translated care, in the King James it actually is translated visit, and I love that translation, visit or come near." come to. There's a real intimacy there. It's not just that he he cares for us. This, This language is unmistakably intimate. The God who stands above the heavens makes his presence with you. He comes to you. He stands over his creation, but he comes to you. He visits you. He has you on his mind. He is constantly and continually aware of you and everything that is happening in your life at the same time that he is sustaining 200 sextillion stars. He is at the same time personally and powerfully working all things for your good. Listen, if you came this morning and you didn't sing I really hope you sing when we're done here. (laughs) Because if you don't sing after we're done here, I'm just going to be honest, that's probably a huge red flag about where you are spiritually. If this can't move your heart to sing. But it's more, listen, God's care... This idea of he is not only mindfulness, but he cares for us. He visits us. He comes to us. He is intimate. In his transcendence, he is intimate. That means his care. It's never abstract. It's never at arm's length. God comes into your reality. He comes into your existence. With unfailing love, with divine power, and with eternal purpose. This psalm reminds us that you exist for something infinitely far greater than all of this. And that God has prepared an eternal dwelling for you. There's a place for you. This is all going somewhere. I saw a t shirt the other day that says, I know how the story ends. Mm-hmm. We do. We know how the story ends. All of this is but a vapor. And we will be with our Lord whose majesty and whose name fills the universe. But until then, God is mindful of you. He cares for you. And he never says... Derek, I understand your situation, but I'm a bit busy with the 200 sextillion stars. So hold on. Do the best you can. The Calvary's coming. He doesn't say that. You may feel that way at times, and perhaps you do right now. You may feel like God doesn't know or that he doesn't care or that he's indifferent or that he's unaware but that is Satan's lies feeding into your unbelief that is Satan's lies feeding into your kingdom crumbling that you're trying to set up for your own glory that is Satan's lies feeding into your subjective feelings living by sight instead of faith. Psalm 8 charges into our existence and reminds us of what reality truly is. This this is for all of us today. But but in particular, I want the fathers to hear this. We, we we are in a culture that is on mission to destroy the family, and that begins with destroying the father. That begins with making men and fathers scapegoats toxic masculinity look at the commercials today it's dad at home with the baby and by the way don't don't send me an email What no that's not what I'm saying but there's a very intentional message there there is no difference parents don't put pink on your boys put blue on them just to do this to the culture. The, cult, the point is, the culture is out to destroy the biblical idea of fatherhood. And it is so critical, hear this, Dads, it is so critical that you understand your ultimate significance the ultimate significance of your existence is not found in your role or your circumstances or even that you are created in the image of God as important as that is your the ultimate significance Your meaningfulness is found in this, that the transcendent God who stands above all things has come to you and made his presence with you. And he will never leave. So whatever you're reading in the books, whatever you're seeing on the internet, whatever your neighbor is telling you, to be a man, To be a man of God is to understand this truth, to understand this truth of Psalm 8, and to lead your wife into a proper understanding of it, and to lead your children into a proper understanding of it, and fathers, to lead your boys into a proper understanding and application of it, and to lead along with your wives, your daughters. To respect it and love it and to look for it in other boys and men. So fathers, the God who's busy doing all this is with you. Now how do we know that? How does that happen? Look at verse 4 again. What he says. Yes, we've been given earthly dominion. But there's something more here. God comes to us. That's not a universal thing. But how? Why? Well, turn your Bibles to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2. In this series, learn to find the New Testament in your Psalms. Learn to know. Seek to know where The New Testament writers and Jesus interpret this. How? They interpret the Psalms. The writer of Hebrews helps us. Notice chapter 2, and look, let's see here. Look at verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. The writer of Hebrews is is arguing. He's he's putting forth the superiority of Jesus here. And look what he says in verse 6. It has been testified somewhere. Now, by the way... I think, he, I think he read the Psalms. So, you know, the writer of Hebrews wasn't, wasn't uh, yeah, I think I heard. He says, It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the Son of Man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Sound familiar? It's Psalm 8. We just applied it to humankind but look what he says next. He says, now, he, this is his commentary. This is the analogy of faith. Scripture best interprets scripture. The writer of Hebrews is going to tell us this is what the ultimate meaning of those verses in Psalm 8 are, is. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything subjection to him. Boy, is that not true. But, we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Here it is. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory. There's the language of the Psalm again, and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In describing the superiority of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, he is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. He is the, the, capital T, son of man. He is the one who ultimately is crowned with glory, who ultimately has been given dominion and control over all things. And it is in this son of man that Psalm 8 is a blessing to us and not a curse to us. It is in this son of man that fathers, you can stand and say, my ultimate significance, the meaning of my existence is not found here. If you are wondering if God cares, if you are wondering if you have any worth in such a big world, if you are wondering where you fit into it all, here's the good news. Psalm 8 solves the puzzle for you, and Hebrews 2 explains the answer. Psalm 8 sings the song of the gospel To your heart. Jesus is there. He is in this psalm. Plain as day. The one who set the stars in place. Has come to you. How? The son of man Jesus. He bled and died. He gave his life. He suffered death so that you would not suffer death. And, and since David wants to talk about babies, the first cry of baby Jesus in a dark and dank manger was a cry that thundered into this fallen world that the one whose glory is set above the heavens has visited you. He has come. Psalm 8, in that way, is a Christmas psalm. Just made up my own genre for psalms. It's a Christmas psalm. He has come to care for you. By making you right with God, His Father, and your Lord. And as powerful as that first cry was, the last words that Jesus uttered from the cross, it is finished. As He hung, suspended between the heavens and the earth, filling that void with his very life making a connection between a fallen world and a holy God in heaven well he hung there bearing your sin paying the price for your measureless debt and mine and he said this it is finished And he breathed his last. And those words, the salvation that comes through his work on the cross, it is yours by faith, and it sets you free in Christ to be who God has made you to be in his creation and to exist for his purpose, not your glory, not my glory, Kids, not the glory of your parents. Parents, not the glory of your children. Grandparents, not the glory of your grandchildren. But the glory, the glory of the one who stands above it all. God has visited you in Christ. By faith, you have received him into your Heart, He has made His home with you until that day, as the great hymn says, until that day when His Son, crowned with all majesty and all glory, returns to make His home with us forever. Oh Lord, notice how David ends a psalm, book ends. He can't find better words, so he goes back to where he started. Oh Lord. Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. As the worship team comes up, I want us to think about that great hymn that reflects this great psalm so well. When I, in awesome wonder, considered all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul. That's what we're going to do in a moment. Then sings my soul, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the words. And then when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. When on the cross... My burden gladly bearing. He bled and died to take away my sin. What should that do in us? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how majestic is your name. And when Christ shall come, shouts of acclamation. What a day that will be! Shouts of acclamation from the heavens. And take me home with joy. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration. And church forever declare one thing. How great thou art. Let's stand and let's sing.